Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis, and today I would like to welcome Scott Mulroney to the program, who is the National Account Manager for Milk Specialties Global. Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate it. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that Milk Specialties does, but the big thing that comes to mind for us is Milk Replacer. Really today, we'd like to talk about what's the importance of investing in a good milk replacer, because milk replacer isn't just milk replacer, isn't just milk replacer, is it? No, not at all. There's a lot of differences that you can't necessarily tell just by looking, comparing one tag to another tag. When things get tight, guys think about, well, maybe I can cut costs by feeding a a cheaper milk replacer, but there's results that you're going to see with that. What are some of those results that maybe are kind of immediately that you see, and then maybe some things that you see that are more long-term problems? So some of the probably immediate things that you might see, for instance, might be uh, issues regarding uh, scours in young calves, depending on the type of ingredients that are used. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other things that you may see as well uh, you know, that, that, that you might run into as well might be more floating issues in, in the calves as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, of the, some of the long-term things uh, would also fall into things like average daily gain, uh, you know, hip height, uh, things like that, uh, lean, lean growth, uh, what you're looking for too, whether we're shooting for heifers versus uh, raising bulls. So like if we're feeding a lower quality milk replacer, we're going to see, assuming lower average daily gain, you talked about hip height and uh, whatnot. I mean, where, where's the differences that you'll see, I guess, versus a, a good quality milk replacer? So like, for instance, if you're looking at, uh, uh, you mean as far as like hip height, you mean? Yeah. Like that? yeah. So I'll give you an example. Like if you're feeding more uh, heifer replacement animals, uh, we're typically looking at a little more lean gain and height that we want to put on those animals. So something that's important that we've done a lot of research is going to be your uh, uh, protein to fat ratio. And so especially if you're trying to do more of a modified accelerated growth program, uh, if you have a lot more fat there than what you do protein, you're going to end up with a fat squattier animal because if you don't have those ratios correct, you don't have enough protein there to metabolize the extra energy. And that's some of the things that I guess research and the way you put that product together make a huge difference. So we're more so, let's say on the bull calf side or the beef side, we may do a little bit different approach. Not that the quality of ingredients would be the same, but some of your fat and protein ratios would be different. Sure, because obviously our target endpoint's a different deal, so we want to have a different feeding ration, basically. Mm-hmm. So if guys are going to look at their milk replacer and tag, and they may say, well, I don't know if this is good quality or not. From that tag, are there any indications that people would want to keep an eye out for that would tell you, oh, yeah, this is something that's going to be a better quality versus another indication would say, well, this is probably something that's not going to be as good a quality. There are a few things. Sometimes it's hard to tell between tags, but there are a few things. Uh, typically, I look at the types of ingredients that are listed. I, I tend to personally lean more towards your all-melt protein ingredients. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I look at. They also want to take a look at your guaranteed fiber level on your tag, too. You know, something that's around a 0.15 fiber, I would typically pick over something that is closer to a 0.5 fiber or even a 1%. Something that might be a 0.5% or a 1% could indicate that there's cheaper ingredients used in there, such as like a, 
a soy protein, which uh, typically has more antigenetic responses in the gut. They actually irritate the gut and, and uh, cause more uh, scours as a result. Typically, the abomasin isn't, isn't very uh, friendly to things like soy proteins uh, and things like that. So I'd look at the, the, the all-milk ingredients. We, uh, at our company, we do use plasma, and if it's the right type of plasma and in the right percentage, that also can be a very good quality, actually an enhancement in the milk replacer. Sure, sure. Some, some other things just to, just to bring up would be maybe asking the manufacturer maybe for what their guidelines are for their ash content. That's a good indication of the quality of whey and ingredients that are used in there, which obviously are, are going to determine how much of that product is actually digestible as well. Well, you know, and it's very interesting, you know, you're talking about digestibility and all the different components. I mean, everything breaks down into basic groups, right? Proteins, carbohydrates, mm-hmm. fats, vitamins, and minerals. And really, mm-hmm. the components of each of those, where what kind of protein it is, the fat versus carbohydrate levels versus the energy, all those are pretty important factors in what the calves are able to do with that milk replacer as far as growth and health is concerned, isn't it? Absolutely. So like things like um, when we're looking at getting energy in these calves, if you're comparing getting energy from fat versus getting energy from carbohydrates, I mean, what should guys be thinking is the better way to go? So there is kind of a happy medium uh, through through the years that at least our our, uh, company has done. Uh, You you obviously want a certain amount of your energy to come from carbohydrates. You obviously have you know, lactose, for instance, that's in milk replacer, that's a lot of milk sugar that the uh, calf is able to consume and, and use for energy. But uh, especially when we get into colder weather, having energy that's coming from fat sources and, and good fat sources, such as edible lard, maybe certain vegetable fat sources that are well-researched, such as coconut oil, if it's the right amount that's used, the benefit coming from fat, especially as we get into colder temperatures, would be that you have two and a half, uh, two and a quarter times the amount of energy in, uh, in your, your lipids or your fats than what you typically do in a lot of your other energy sources. And so we can dense up that ration to those calves to make sure that they're not pulling off body weight before they uh, start to consume, you know, enough calf starter, which typically isn't till probably two and a half, three weeks of age. One of the things that we believe strongly in is, is looking at using fats as a way to actually bring down the osmolarity of the total solution. So even though, uh, for instance, I'll give you an example, you can have a, say, 10 ounces of milk replacer that you're feeding. You could add a lot more milk replacer to that. And if your customer isn't willing to increase up the amount of water in that feeding that they're going to feed, your solid is going to get too high and cause a lot of digestive problems where you could add just a little additional fat and since it's not water-soluble in solution, your osmolarity actually goes down. And so the body reacts to that differently, positively, so that the body isn't trying to bring in a lot more fluids to displace that, therefore not having as many bloating and clostridial issues and things like that. Sure, that osmolarity factor is super key, isn't it? It, it sure is. And took me a while to get my head around it and some days I still maybe struggle with it but it's it's you know it's very key to understand the difference between solids and and osmolarity Uh, both both are very important to know when you're 
dealing with mixing a milk replacer or, or even using whole milk, for instance. So, yeah. Sure enough. You know, and when we also talk about quality, vitamins, minerals come to mind. And vitamins are so finicky, you know. They need to have a certain amount every day and, and storage within the animal is a little bit limited. So when when you're looking at your milk replacer, trying to decide if this is doing the job for you or if you need to do something different, what are some of those things with vitamins and minerals that you need to look for? And what do you see in the animals if things are going right versus if they aren't going right? So some of the things that I would look at, I mean, for instance, you know, having the right amount of selenium and vitamin E in there, helping on your immune system. There's actually been quite a bit of research done on that to show that uh, you don't have those in, in the right ratios and especially in the right levels. You're going to have more stress on those calves. You know, you can run into a lot more. You, you basically open them up to more susceptibility, almost like us being run down if we're not taking a multivitamin and maybe dealing with stress already or being in contact with someone who may have a cold or something like that, you're going to be a lot more susceptible. So that's one example. Another thing is too, is uh, if we have the right levels of vitamin D in there, that uh, helps absorb uh, calcium correctly as well. A uh, also helping in with the immune system, your microminerals, for your metabolic process and immune function as well. We and one of the other things, and there's been quite a bit of research done on this too, is that uh, cow's milk, whole cow's milk, typically is not very high in those. So we find that we also have to do the same thing by doing a supplementation into whole cow's milk. Um, one of our colleagues that talks about this quite a bit says that when, uh, say, you have a cow-calf situation, you have that calf is sucking milk off the cow, but also eating and nibbling a little bit of grass where they're also going to get uh, extra vitamins and minerals, they're not, they're not going to do that in a confinement situation. And even whole milk, regular cow's whole milk that's being tested more in a confinement situation, those levels aren't there. So whether we get it through milk replacer or whether we add it to whole milk, we do see quite a huge difference in overall health, average daily gain, thriftiness, uh, everything in, in these small calves. You know, maybe to wrap up here, could you speak a little bit about the animal plasma research trials information that you have? Sure. There's, uh, you know, obviously our company has uh, uh, done quite a bit of uh, work uh, with plasma as well. And uh, also the industry has as well. There's uh, university work, other independent companies that have done quite a bit with plasma. And what basically has is, is been shown is that uh, plasma, if the right type of plasma is used, we, we believe that our company, bovine plasma, is the right way to go versus porcine plasma. I think that uh, those, uh, what do you want to say, the, 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 the right, correct species of species as far as maybe helping protect them a little bit better by going bovine to bovine. The other is that, uh, and I have personal experience with this, with using a porcine plasma, is that it tends to hurt the palatability of, of the product. So just to bring this up kind of as a, a beginning. So uh, I do think that if you're going to use a plasma source, I think you should use bovine because uh, I think the calves are going to accept it much better. As far as what we've seen in research work is that a more stressed calf situation, that's probably where you're going to see your best benefit of plasma. It's almost kind of like a, more of a natural way versus using antibiotics or things like that to keep scours and problems like that down in younger calves. So I'll give you an example. If I was 
raising my own calves off my own dairy, and I was doing a great job of navel, navel dipping and getting enough colostrum in and blood serum checking and, and uh, cleanliness and everything else. And knew, you know, had my vaccination protocols up to speed that things were, I don't necessarily think that I would use plasma in, in my milk replacer. But if I was buying calves in, let's say, for instance, that were coming in from multiple sources, you don't know the history of them. You're a lot more likely to have in a commingled situation, you're going to have a lot more stress. You're bringing them in. You don't know whether this calf has come in with rota or this one's come in with salmonella or whatever. And this is where we've seen plasma basically do a lot of protectiveness in the uh, digestive lining of that animal to to uh, uh, keep them going uh, through that without near the issues. One side note, it used to be that when milk proteins were maybe more expensive than what they are now, it used to be that plasma was actually uh, made the formula a little less expensive. Now with where milk proteins are and where plasma pricing is, it's actually a premium to put plasma in a milk replacer, currently about $2 a bag more versus an all milk, just as a reference. Well, that's very interesting altogether. Anything else you'd like to add to our audience here um, at the close of the program? You know, nothing in particular. I just, I really appreciate the uh, time back for for you and your company to have me on. And uh, uh, by all means, my pleasure. Hey, well, we really appreciate having you come on and help explain some of these things because Milk Replacer isn't just Milk Replacer. That's for darn sure. So with that, all our listeners out there, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Y'all take care, folks. 